had a number of books given to me over the course of the last few months and one from a very good fellow and I'm looking at it and it's a small little book and I was very intrigued by the idea of sacred geometry and it's written by Miranda Lundy and it talks about the point a line and a plane none one or two dimensions And it basically says, begin with a sheet of paper. The point is the first thing that can be done. It is without dimension and is not in space. Without an inside or an outside, the point is the source for all which now follows. The point is represented below as a small circular dot. The first dimension, the line, comes into being as the one emerges into two principles, active and passive. The point chooses somewhere outside of itself a direction. Separation has occurred and the line comes into being. A line has no thickness and it is sometimes said that a line has no end. Three ways now become apparent opposite with one end of the line stationary or passive the other is free to rotate and describe a circle representing heaven the active point can move to a third position equidistant from the other two thus describing an equilateral triangle The line can produce another which moves away until distances are equal to form a square, representing Earth. Three forms, circle, triangle, and square, have manifested. All are rich in meaning, and our journey has begun. And to me, that relates really specifically to the opening of the Torah and the beginning of what most in our society would consider the greatest book ever written. And when you can correlate geometry with the beginning words of the Bible, you can see how something was created by one person and that everything else from it is from that source. And so everything that we see around us is inspired by the words of people who were inspired by events that happened in their lives. That book and the Bible wasn't written by God. It was written by people who were inspired by the things that they saw while they were here and they wrote about them and spoke about them and talked about them and preached about them and teached about them. 
And so heaven being above us could be the very same thing that's below us. I've always had these conversations with my dad about what do you think it's like? Like, what do you think it's like to, you know, when you pass away and you go and, you know, you've done all your atonements in in repentance and you've done all your things that you need to ask for forgiveness of and say, okay, it's your time and you're going and you get up there and you see like everybody you ever loved in your life who went before you or where do you go? And what do you do? And who's there? And like, what's it like? And he doesn't really necessarily believe in incarnate or reincarnation. But I actually think that because of the hierarchy and because of your level of goodness and your level of contribution and the work that you put in while you were here affords you the ability to come back after you pass and do it all over again as a human being. And your soul gets incarnated into another life form, another body. Whether that body is, you know, in the human form or the animal form, depends really on what you did while you're here. And so it's... You can be redeemed, and I'm not the one to say that that is going to be the case for everybody, or even even myself, because I don't know well enough to know whether that's possible. But looking at the vast experience of our culture... And the things we, you know, kind of head towards in our lives, which is like, you know, food and we don't really fast on a schedule or follow certain traditional things when our lives become disrupted. And so when you're a single parent who has decided that, you know, this situation is much more important for my own happiness than it is for my kids or whatever, or or trying to help another person um, in a marriage see what the value is in having community and service and uh, charity and time management to give, receive, and share, and rest, and relax, and work. And I admit, I'm not, <laughs> I've been a complete case for the past six months coming in to realize any of this during a time of a pandemic. And 
instead of actually doing anything with the knowledge that I've recently obtained, I have allowed my world to become quite confused until recently. And, you know, whether it's, (laughs) whether it's okay right now to, you know, keep on keeping on and trying to do good things for other people. Only what time will tell that. But there is no question that despite the very fact that I am not perfect doesn't preclude me from wanting to help other people become more perfect in their lives. And that's not to say we're talking tonight about judgments and, you know, when you're a parent and you see your children are getting overweight, you know, it's natural thing. You don't want your children to suffer through whatever that, you know, has an impact on their lives, which it does. We automatically say, hey, you know, you could really use to, you know, exercise more, eat better. And, you know, maybe take a few days to not eat so much junk. But in a in a mind of a child who already doesn't feel good about themselves because they are overweight or they are struggling with something, hearing that coming from a parent automatically has the connotation that, oh, you don't care. You don't love me for who and what I am. And so what we do is we project that back towards the person who's trying to help us. And so it's this vicious thing that doesn't really get figured out until you sit and contemplate and think about it. And when you do, and when you spend the time with just yourself, forget about helping the rest of the world. You have to really be committed to working at the things in yourself that you feel are not acceptable to you, not to anybody else. Someone mentions your weight or your habits or your tone or something about you that they think could be addressed. That's not to say that, you know, the judgment that people pass around day in, day out. Most people I know who've ever had anything to say about what my 
workout schedule is like or what my eating patterns are like. They're not really here to see how I eat or what I do or... And maybe, you know, maybe they make assumptions and can know, like, yeah, you went and got a iced coffee every morning with sugar in it. Yeah. Yep. And I also drank eight glasses of water and a handful of nuts and a piece of cheese and... Made myself a nice dinner. And that seems to be working for me. So why don't you leave me alone? And I think that's what we do all the time. Like I know best. I know best. And I'm going to do what I want to do. But when someone commits to a long duration of trying to help you from suffering... In your nice, happy years where you could be, you know, enjoying your life. You gotta take notice. And I have, and it's not without, it is not without um, gratitude. But at the same time, for me, it's not like I grew up on a turnip farm and didn't know, like, Smoking and eating cheeseburgers was a bad idea. And consuming, you know, mass quantities of alcohol from time to time. I've known that. And it's not like I didn't know that that causes issues in life. And that the reason we have bad experiences and cause ourselves to do stupid things is because of those things. And so realizing that the bad choices we make in the attitude we have about that actually has an impact on our friends and neighbors and our children and our family. Because it's like, well, you know what? You don't have to, come on, you don't have to quit smoking. You'll be fine. It, because for me, it, it helps me during stressful times. I know, but it really doesn't. And so having that conversation over and over again has been, Almost like a free pass. Like, yeah, it helps when I'm stressed out. And I'm stressed out. But what do I need to be stressed out about? Nothing. I'm sitting here looking at everything you can imagine needing to be here in one place to survive and to live outside of, you know, having companionship and community, but I have that too here, is that we tend to give each other passes because we're taking shortcuts ourselves to real, 
to say, oh, well, you know, it'll be forgiven. I won't get sick or I'm genetically not inclined to get this or I'm, you know, I'm not going to have, you know, problems down the road because they didn't happen here. And we make all kinds of excuses. And I, I'm first one to admit that, you know, if someone puts a piece of cake in front of me, I'm more than happy to like test it for them. But that doesn't mean I know that I shouldn't. And, you know, if you do things moderately, then you don't really have a lot to be that concerned about. And so when you look at some of the things that are taught, it is with discernment and thought and, hey, is this going to wind up being good for me? Is this going to wind up producing good things for me? And if you train your mind to, you know, start looking up words and things and what they mean. And, you know, when you hear someone say something that suggests that, you know, I'd really like to see you become healthy. It's really not designed to make you feel bad. And when you can look at it as like, wow, this person cares about me so much. Now, whether they have any other thoughts about giving me tips on how to change or motivate me to, you know, actually do something about it. I have two things that I know work. One is water. Water actually purifies this, your body. It flushes out your lymphatic system and It helps your blood circulate better. It nourishes your muscles. It helps provide needed oxygen for your bones and your brain function and all that. So go to the back of any Bible. Go pick up one. And we can talk more about Bibles because as you become more knowledgeable, you should be transitioning to a different one. But we'll talk about that soon. But go to the back of any Bible and you'll see charts and graphs and maps and all kinds of things that give you a translation for weights and measures and leaders and dry weight measurements and wet weight measurements are translated for us from what they used to use you know they called Um, you know, 
a pound a shekel or or well they didn't call a pound a shekel a shekel was a measurement of a metal of gold or silver or copper and so it gives you a description as to what those measurements mean in today's world and distances like cubit and other measurements for how long to make your curtains and your panels for your home. And so it it, it has a recipe for Telling you how much water you should be drinking. It's like the dude that made us. Gave us. Gave us a roadmap. And so I don't want to say this because this is this is kind of like there's a school of thought out there that says, well, everything that was made in the world is good because it was made from the hand. No, I'm sorry. And not to disparage Big Macs because I've craved them every now and then in my life. But if you live on a fast food diet or you live completely on just, you know, nothing nutritive that has vitamins and minerals in it. then your body isn't going to be functioning on the cylinders that it was designed to function on. And neither is your brain. And neither is your lymph node system. And neither is your muscles. You're not going to feel the capacity to be able to climb a mountain if you don't have enough water in your system. So look that up because that is really an awesome thing to... Realize it's just like saying, Hey, when you want to bake a loaf of bread, here are the ingredients. Well, guess what? We have ingredients for like our body and our lives and our whole existence, all kind of right there. And you know, it's kind of like saying, Guess what, guys? Over the course of all these thousands of years that it's been documented that human beings and animals have lived on this planet, here are the things you should probably try. Because in our society, what we do is we devalue our older population. And they're the ones that know all this stuff. And so what we do is we say, oh, we got to go visit grandma or grandpa in the nursing home. But meanwhile, they're the ones with all this knowledge that can tell us all this stuff. But we don't want to go and we don't want to ask and we don't want to seek. And that's what I find so amazing about the way in which our society is really functioning today when it comes to its respect and honoring of 
our older population. They are amazing. And so are young people. I've met some young people up here that are just would blow your mind with what they know and what they contribute. And so there's no need really for anybody to sit and think about what was me because someone told me that I should lose a few pounds. I don't blame that person or feel negatively towards them. They're right. They're right. And it's what we do for ourselves will somehow translate into helping other people. You know, I spent 24 years in construction trying to understand how I can take that life and combine it with a love of creative creativity and a love of speaking and a love of socializing with a level of knowledge that I just didn't think I was ever going to obtain and now trying to discern how to translate that with such diverse life experience in a way that makes sense to some common person so that they can make necessary and appropriate modifications in their life to be given what I think is a promise for people to say, hey, if one, I'd follow these 10 things, these 10 rules <coughs> that say, don't do this, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. If we do those things, the idea of what is above us and below us can be so vastly different. And if someone's interpretation of what heaven is, is that if you atone and you repent and you become not a horrible, slutty Jane... from SNL, then the promise that I've been able to discern is that we're going to get to stay here. This earth was created for us in this life. We were given this life. And if you don't wreck your body, you don't wreck other people's environment with your trash and your 
negative contributions in the world, then we get to stay here for a really long time. And our soul will get reincarnated into a new body. That's what I think happens. Now, I think heaven, which I think could be as equally awesome as to say, guess what? You know, you're going out to the ether. You're going out above the earth to a cold, dark, horrible, horribly, you know, uh, incompatible form of life. You're so awful and you've done so many just stupid things and you've done nothing to help anybody else in this world. Just like, you know, Zod from Superman and his sister. They get to go be up in the galaxy. Now, to me, I don't know. It might be pretty cool to be a star for the next thousand years and light up the sky. But that seems pretty lonely. It seems like it would be really cold. I mean, a lot of people would look up at the sky every night and be like, oh, look at that. There's, you know. There's Felicia. But I really don't think. And then, you know, after, you know, 800 years or so, maybe, you know, those shooting stars you see are the ones that are coming crashing to earth. And as they burn up in the atmosphere and experience the heat and experience the atmospheric change, they come crashing to earth in some, you know, foreign land like, you know, Zimbabwe or something as a big giant rock. And then you get to spend the next 200 years either living at the bottom of an ocean and being eroded away as a mineral and then eventually becoming part of a fish and then eventually becoming part of a bird and then eventually becoming part of a bear and eventually becoming part of a human. All in a big thousandth generation experience and so it would be a great thing if everybody on this planet were able to wake up from the minute they are thinking of having a family and spending Every Saturday, resting, preparing for the next six days to create 
and generate a profound and understanding knowledge of what is in the Bible. Now, again, I don't know what my place will ultimately be other than the fact that I know that I have come late to the party. So with that, some people would assume that maybe I don't get a place based upon the fact that someone wrote about it and didn't really actually experience it. But should that preclude me from trying to help other people realize that that's what's written and that's what societies believe and that's what most major religious organizations have written about almost in the same manner for thousands of years? I think not. And so I will fully admit, fully admit that selfishness has played a major role. And I, again, I don't, I don't walk around trying to be a selfish person, but when you're looking at your own place in a story that you fully trust and believe in and are really, really diving into it for the first time in your life and are really trying and really have been taught well to understand what it really means. And you find yourself not in that group of the ones that are going to be here For a long term, without disease or famine or pestilence or viruses. And why do you think that is? Because they didn't do anything wrong to deserve it. And so... Going from one book to another and seeing the parallels between old and new and what people did in the middle while they were in the middle and how they did it is really important. It's called the the acts, the things that people did. People wrote, people transposed, people scribed, people orated, people spoke. They produced more art. They knew what their role was to go forward and to keep producing so that next generations were able to learn from this. And I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't stop 
on my path when I knew a year and a half, two years ago, what was really going on here. And when I experienced, you know, the book of Ezekiel for the first time, and when that occurred, I could tell you the day and what it has been meant since rereading most of it. When we give to other people, um, that's when we're really helping them. And it, it's, it's like saying, oh, I know this, but do I really know it? And now that I've spent some time really taking it in and really kind of seeing it in, in action, yeah. You gotta you gotta go and help people understand these things. And so we have to create and we have to continue on what you love to do the most. What do you love? What do you love to do? Do that. And find a way to translate that into your capacity for telling people what you know and how you learned it and what it means to you. And you'll find your place. Um, I can't say that I mean, I thought I had my place. I thought I had a good spot to keep learning and growing, but I didn't have I didn't have enough knowledge. I had a lot of baseline stuff, and I had a lot of capacity for seeing how it all tied together, which I, you know ultimately have been able to do but those baseline things the math the verbs do you know in exodus it talks about nine verbs And those are the verbs that are, they're the language. They're the language that God hears and responds to. And we've talked about this before, but is, you know, hey God, can you hook me up with, you know, a new job? It's not his frequency. It doesn't work. But when you function on a level that says, you know what, today I'm going to 
get a phone call and I'm going to get an offer to go do something that I think I'm really going to like. And it's going to happen. And it's going to work. And don't give up. Have faith. It'll come. It'll happen. It always does. And I don't know. Don't take that for granted. I think in the moments when we are most vulnerable is when we can become ungrateful. And that has to be the center point of all of your dealings because... You know, when you're working in a place that, you know, you can see all these things that are going on around you and you're like, wow, wow, this is really amazing. You can forget to be grateful And not because you're not, just because you can forget and you can be in such awe of everything that's going on that you forget to take care of the people in your life. And I think, you know, I've done that. So enamored with the idea of attaining wisdom and knowledge that I wanted more, wanted more, wanted more, wanted more. And at what cost? Sitting in a place without my kid. Not because of any other reason, but just focusing primarily on negative stuff not worrying about money and worrying about where am I going to live and what am I going to do I have to go where I'm supposed to go and again I didn't want to leave my kid but I did And that is the biggest problem. And, you know, we were talking today about the idea of, oh, if I could have only just done this differently yesterday. Don't go... (laughs) Don't go to Thailand during a tsunami and just walk away from your kid who got swept away and just be like, well, I'm going to go back to 
my home state, and um, hopefully they'll find my kid. And they'll call me and let me know that he's there. Huh? And that's kind of how it feels to have made a decision based upon money and security over your kid. And that's what it feels like. It feels like dirt. It feels terrible. And I... It's why. Stay away from that. At all costs. At all costs. Who cares if you can't pay your rent? Who cares? You're with your kid. Right? That's all that matters. And so I'm telling you this because it's important. And it, you know, we hear all the time. We focus so much on the idea of financial wealth and security and all this stuff. In the meantime, our kids are screaming for attention and love and time with us. And those are the important things. They really are. So, with that said, we'll talk more. Be good. Au revoir.